Sup, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Mike Peterson, uh, more popularly known as at Bitcoin Beach. He has been running a project down in El Zante, El Salvador, in which they are trying to create a Bitcoin circular economy. This is a fascinating episode. Uh, actually talking to somebody who has feet on the ground and is attempting to create a circular economy in Bitcoin. This has been a big topic uh, on the, the Twitter sphere and, and in conversations with other Bitcoiners. A lot of people think that people aren't spending Bitcoin enough and they aren't utilizing it enough. There's too many hodlers out there. Well, Mike's here to uh, to illustrate that that is not the case. There is some great things happening on the ground where Bitcoin is needed more than it is here in the West. So I think you guys are really going to love this perspective. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. You already know all about them. They're helping you stack sats. They're helping you send sats. They're helping you receive sats. They're helping you sell sats if you so please. And they're also making sats the standard if you want it in the app. You don't have to buy fractions of a Bitcoin. You can buy whole sats. Uh, remember, Cash App's allowing you to send sats too. So if you're out there and you've got a lot of sats on the Cash App, uh, think about sending it to personal storage. That is the beauty of Bitcoin. It is a digital bearer asset that you can custody at the end of the day. So if you're stacking sats, make sure you're also sending them to personal custody at some point as well. And Cash App allows you to do that. On top of that, they have Cash App investing. If you are a stonk market investor and you're, you're looking at stonks, you can now stack slivers of stonks via the Cash App. If you have a favorite stonk, it's a little too expensive. Cash App investing is letting you invest as little as $1 into that stonk, a very tiny sliver of a stonk. Uh, Cash App investing is a subsidiary of Square member SIPC because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account or because it may be your bank account. Now that they have account numbers and routing numbers, you can get your uh, paychecks direct deposited into the app. Uh, there's no four to five day, day waiting period. Stacks, stack sats today, stack slivers of stonks today. You don't have to wait. As always, use the code stacking sats, S T A C K I N G S A T S. That's one word. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Use the code stacking sats. Download the Cash App today. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a lovely Friday afternoon. Very excited for this conversation. I'm sitting down with Mike Peterson from the Bitcoin Beach Project, which has been on the ground in El Salvador, helping individuals uh, adopt and use Bitcoin in a in a circular economy. This is something that caught my eye on Twitter um, recently within the last six months and just been seeing... Uh, people retweet and, and update what you guys are doing on the ground there. And I'm very curious to learn about uh, why you're doing this and uh, how it's working down there. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Stoked to be here. 
yeah, thank you uh, for agreeing to do this. Um, why, why are you, how did you end up in El Salvador uh, spreading the gospel of Bitcoin and trying to get it into people's hands? Yeah, so um, I, I went on a surf trip to El Salvador about 15 years ago and just kind of fell in love with the country. And we have a seasonal business in the U.S. that we basically work crazy hours for four months during the summer and we have the rest of the year off. And so um, we were looking for a place that we could spend our some time during the winters. And El Salvador has good waves and warm water. And so we wound up buying a house down there. And over the years we were down there, we started getting involved within the community, um, seeing some of the challenges with uh, the gangs. They had, I think they still have the, the highest murder rate in the world. Um, a lot of challenges, a lot of poverty, but just some amazing hardworking people. And so feeling like if we're gonna be down there, we wanna do something to make a difference. And so about six years ago, we moved basically there full time. We just come back west for months every summer to work and we've been doing community development projects um, working with different churches and nonprofits throughout El Salvador and trying to coordinate efforts and make sure that the organizations have a bigger impact and then I also have been following Bitcoin kind of since the beginning um, more from the the money side of it than the technology um, that's kind of more my focus and interest and so couple times I tried to buy Bitcoin, uh, I think in 2013 and then again in 16. Um, but just the technology aspect of it just put me off, just trying to figure out how to actually purchase it and custody it. And so I kind of kept putting it off and then um, finally dove in in 2017. And um, I've actually put a good deal of my retirement accounts and, and those sorts of things in Bitcoin. So I'm definitely vested. Uh, in Bitcoin in the long term and, and a hodler, but also um, focused on the, the monetary side of it and how it can make a difference for people in the developed world. Um, yeah, I think coming from the US or any developed country, you kind of assume that everybody has the same access to the banking services and that money is pretty easy to move around. And we found out real quickly in El Salvador uh, that's just not the case for most of the world. It's challenging to move money, even for us being down there, um, purchase some properties and some vehicles, just actually physically getting the cash and moving that and the purchase was just a huge headache. So you just realize how much friction is in the system there and how much that's holding the economy back and how much Bitcoin really can be a, a huge solution for them. Um, especially the people that the banks don't want to deal with, but it's not worth it for the banks. And so, yeah, so that that kind of drove our initial um, kind of interest in me kind of thinking how Bitcoin could be used. And then we were uh, introduced to a early Bitcoin adopter. Um, from what I understand, bought Bitcoin when it was five cents and uh, sitting on uh, a large cache of it and wants to use it to really have an impact in the world. And, but he doesn't want people just to cash it out in the fiat, which is what most nonprofits are still doing. He wants them to really actually use it transactionally. So put this kind of nutty proposal together for him that we would start a circular economy within El Salvador. And we have kind of a three-year time horizon. 
and he surprisingly agreed to it. And so it's been just a blast. We have uh, resources behind us. We've had other partners that have come in to you know actually supplement and provide more resources. And you're able to get Bitcoin. Probably at this point, I think about 700 families total we have using Bitcoin between the, the three communities that we're working in. 700 families? Yeah, 700 families. Wow. That's that's crazy. Um, no, because you see, I see the pictures on Twitter of people like lined up, uh, just getting Bitcoin allocated to them. You guys pull up on a truck, people line up. You're, I assume, teaching them how to download wallets and stuff like that. Before, but before we get into all that, you mentioned the friction of actually acquiring hard cash and moving money in El Salvador. Can we sort of dive into these frictions uh, so that we can see how Bitcoin is helping with these? Yeah, I think it's it's a combination of um, just in poor countries, banks not wanting to deal with a big portion of the population because they can't make any money off them. There's just not enough um, volume or volume or value there. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is most people in the world don't realize how much the U.S. banking laws impact the financial system around the entire world. And a lot of the anti-money laundering laws and KYC laws that are in place in the U.S. that we don't, they don't, they provide, they're very little friction for us. I mean, I have a business, I move large sums of money around and it's, it's pretty frictionless. You go to El Salvador and you try to do something for $500, they want you to fill out all these forms and where you got it, by tax returns. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so to move money around for, for locals is challenging bring money in from outside the country is challenging. Uh, sadly, this, the easiest way to actually get money from the U.S. to El Salvador is to visit the ATM every day and make multiple withdrawals. I mean, it's, we're still at that point where that's the easiest way. And so for people that are looking to invest in businesses in El Salvador or buy properties or try to, um, even for nonprofits, trying to bring money in, it's a huge huge challenge. And the other aspect is El Salvador about, I think it's like 22% of their economy is based on remittances, which means that's money sent from relatives working in primarily in the US, someone in Canada and Europe, sending back to their family members. And it's still this antiquated system that they're using, primarily using companies like Western Union that still grab a good chunk of the transaction. They have to take the bus, sometimes an hour, two hours to the capital city to visit an office, stand in line, retrieve the money. And then they have the uh, security risk of traveling on the bus with all this money, get back home. And so the whole process costs them days sometimes, and then a significant percentage of the money that's being sent. And so family members can't just send you know $20 because we all get eaten up in fees. but. That's kind of our next thing we're focusing on is the Bitcoin, especially over the Lightning Network. Somebody needs $5 to pay their school fees and they have a relative in the US, they can send them Lightning right away and it's on their phone and then they can go transact, especially in our community where there's business accepted. So that kind of, um, I think just gives kind of an overview of just how challenging it is to move money around. Yeah, really highlights the problem. and. So how are you 
educating these families about Bitcoin? What's what's the process? How do you how did you first start out? It seems like a pretty uh, daunting task. Like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, uh, spreading Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador in a whole country. Uh, how did you convince um, the individuals within El Salvador who are working with you and have accepted Bitcoin and are accepting Bitcoin at their businesses t- to do this? Yeah, we definitely faced kind of that, that chicken and the egg scenario that you know, anytime you're trying to, to start a network and there wasn't much use of, of Bitcoin in El Salvador when we started, so it really was starting from scratch. Um, initially, we, we tried to do a lot of education and kind of teaching people the value of Bitcoin and what it is and where it came from and quickly found out that for most people that just kind of overwhelmed them and put them off. And so we kind of switched, um, we, we switched how we, we get at it. We're actually, first we try to get them transacting. And so we'll have them do some transactions. And once they do the transactions, they realize, okay, this is easy. I understand it. I have this value on my phone, it's money. Um, and in order to create that network, we had to incentivize businesses to start accepting it. So one aspect was we were distributing it within the community. So there was people that had uh, liquidity there that were looking to spend. And so that was new customers for the business businesses. But we also agreed to walk alongside them for the first few months, especially with volatility. So if there was a huge drop in Bitcoin prices, we would actually uh, give them some additional Bitcoin to make up for any losses. We told them up front, this is just a temporary thing so you guys learn how to manage the volatility. But we didn't want them to start off with a bad taste in their mouth. Everybody in Bitcoin knows that it, you know, it can drop a thousand dollars overnight, um, you know, without it really being that big of a deal. So for a small business owner that, you know, maybe has five hundred dollars in it and the next morning they wake up and they have $450 and that can be a huge hit for them. So um, we teach them that long-term, we think that it's appreciating because of the hard money aspects of Bitcoin. And so we think it's good for them to save, you know, a small percentage of their savings in it, but also kind of teaching them to kind of ride the ups and downs. Um, So yeah, it's definitely been challenging. We've, we had originally were doing everything on chain and we uh, moved over to Lightning as, you know, for small transactions, just on chain is not really viable. Had people lose their wallets, we kind of had to go through, you know, different things and, and teaching people the importance of keeping their keys or backing up their, their key uh, phrases and seed words if they're, they're using custodial. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. What tools have have you been introducing um, to these individuals? So we've primarily focused on um, phone phone wallets, and the biggest focus is on the the user experience and interface because we quickly figured out that was the biggest hurdle. Uh, if people can understand it, if they can see how it easily converts to dollars, which uh, El Salvador uses the U.S. dollars as their official currency. So they wanted to be able to see the, what the prices were in dollars, how much they're spending in dollars. And so to use a wallet application that um, just has a very friendly interface. So we originally started using uh, the blockchain wallet app. 
um, just for the usability aspect of it. And then we have switched over to primarily using Wallet of Satoshi uh, for Lightning. They have, they, you don't have to open channels, you don't have to manage any channels, all that stuff's kind of done behind the scenes. Um, it's custodial, so you understand the pushback that people have about that. But as far as usability, people being able to um, go down and buy 50 cents worth of tortillas and pay one Satoshi in fees to, to do that, to have that happen immediately. Um, and it all be easy for the stores to handle, not a big hurdle for them, much easier than accepting credit cards. That's been what's going to really make a difference for the average people, the non-tech people in adopting Bitcoin is for it's just work and then not to think about it. Yeah, that's always an interesting discussion that goes on is the trade-offs between UX and self-sovereignty in the form of using non-custodial apps. But I think it's definitely a spectrum. Myself have, uh, me, myself, I've, uh, uh, traveled that spectrum, started out with highly custodial wallets and now running a full node, verifying all my transactions, running non-custodial wallets. But I think for what you're trying to do in El Salvador, this is probably a good stepping stone. And so with that being said, like, have you noticed people uh, who have been a part of what you're doing down there for, for a while, sort of learning along the way and, and becoming more competent as a Bitcoin user? Oh, yeah, for sure. We found that once people start interacting with it, uh, then they're incentivized to go out and learn and be reading stuff. And so they're coming to us all the time and sometimes with, you know, surprising me for the level of knowledge that they have. And we're talking people that are living in, in Lamina, 10 shacks with dirt floors that, you know, understand Bitcoin at a level that, you know, a lot of people living in Bitcoin conventions, you know, don't really understand, especially on the usability side and actually transacting in it. So we definitely encourage people longer term to move to non-custodial solutions and I think there's always a trade-off. Even some of the stores will use the, um, the ballet you know, card wallet. That I know there's some controversy on that. That, that people could, you know, possibly have the keys at the manufacturing side and that stuff. But everything's a trade-off. And so for like some of the stores and stuff, that's been a good tool for them to use the, the ballet wallet. And so you know, eventually, obviously, we'd like everybody to to having you know, a ledger and and you know that's what we use to transact everything on our side but we think that you know you have to take baby steps and put up all these hurdles in the beginning people will never enter the ecosystem i can i can hear the freaks cringing at the ballet wallet. <laughs> no for sure i i mean i understand i understand all the criticisms i understand the you know the but for a lot of people, it's easy to say something when you're kind of in theory or you live in a um, ideal situation. But for people in the developed world that um, are sometimes the internet's unstable, sometimes power is an issue, security is always an issue, even being able to store um, your, your seed words in you know, a secure location is, is a challenge. And so um definitely found you have to balance all those things and i think a lot of bitcoinists are so purist that if 
if we stay to the route that, that they would like, we'll never get more than 1% of the world population using it. So I definitely think we have to find that balance. And to be clear, you're not, you're not arguing we need, everybody needs to adopt fully custodial things. It's just that the options need to be there. No, no, not at all. I think, I think longer term, non-custodial will be the way. I think that the technology will keep getting better, that the usability will keep getting better. And so definitely um, non-custodial is the preference. But in order to get people to enter in, the custodial products definitely provide an easier on-ramp overall. And I think if anybody spends any significant amount of time in communities living in poverty, they kind of will understand that, that, okay, it's our idealism is here, but the, uh, the practicalities are over here on the other side. And so how do we kind of find a happy medium? Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, especially where you are in El Salvador, if there's somewhat of a tipping point. Like, so let's dive into this. Like, how is the circular economy doing? Like, are people uh, in the villages that you're in actually using it every day you said the person who's funding some of this does not want them to to cash out so are they using bitcoin like uh, down the supply chain and and then on top of that uh, what are the these sort of volatility hedging strategies that you're teaching them yeah so it's definitely you know definitely some uh, bitcoin comes out into fiat um, the stores have to buy supplies they have certain things that they have to, to convert to. We've seen probably uh, half of it is flowing out at some point, but as we inject more, that means there's always more circulating. But the nice thing is, is most of it is actually flowing out to other Salvadorans. So we're seeing people from the capital city, which is about an hour away, come down and want to buy, and buy on a peer-to-peer -peer basis from some of the store owners. So people that are doctors or other professionals that are from the capital city are now using our town as, um, you know, it's gained that reputation as the place you can go and buy Bitcoin because it's hard for even people in the capital city to have access to places to be able to buy. So we're definitely seeing some of that. We put a, um, partnered with Athena Bitcoin to put a Bitcoin ATM in the town. And initially we assumed that there would be, because we are injecting so much Bitcoin into the community, we assume that there would be more Bitcoin being sold to the ATM than purchased from it, but it's actually been the opposite. So we are seeing even the ATM machine is, is being used as another um, way to inject more Bitcoin into El Salvador as a whole. So that's been very encouraging to see that you know, some people need to convert some to fiat, but those who are saving are choosing to do it in Bitcoin. Other people who aren't even directly participating in our program that live in the community are buying Bitcoin from their neighbors. And they like the convenience of using it. Um, there's two different water districts in our community and both of them are accepting Bitcoin. We have, I think now like 15 different businesses that are accepting Bitcoin, a number of stores, uh, three restaurants, a coffee shop, and a hair salon, get pedicures, like there's a wide variety of places where people can use um, Bitcoin. And then we're working also on people being able to pay their electric bill in Bitcoin. So once they can pay all their basic services, 
especially like with the electric bill, they'll be able to pay that in El Zante where we're at rather than taking the bus for an hour into the neighboring town where they usually have to pay it. It actually makes it so people start preferring Bitcoin over cash. It's more affordable, it's easier to secure, they can transact without having to take the bus somewhere. And so we're, we're seeing, we're starting to see that breaking point where before they would take Bitcoin, but it was kind of seen as slightly less um, good than cash, where now they're seeing it as slightly better than cash. So you feel like that, that continuum is going to grow where they're, the preference for Bitcoin yeah, it's fascinating because that's one thing. If you've been around Bitcoin long enough, uh, airdrops uh, come with with a negative connotation under the assumption that if people get airdrop Bitcoin, they'll just sell it to their native currency, or in this case, the U.S. dollar, which is the currency that El Salvador leverages. Um, so that's actually fascinating and encouraging to see that they're they're actually the buying more Bitcoin than selling. Yeah, I think it comes from two points. One, you have professionals from the capital city who just have, have always been intrigued by Bitcoin and wanted to have access, and now we're providing access. But within the communities we're at, we built the economic system. So in a lot of times when you do airdrops, if there's no place where people can spend Bitcoin, then what are they going to do other than convert it? So that's why we not been easy and it's been a lot of hand-holding and a lot of work but getting these businesses up and running and accepting bitcoin has been key to uh, the project working longer term and what we're really the holy grail will be if we start to get people receiving their remittances from family members in the u.s in bitcoin because we have funds basically to fund this program for three years and the goal is by the end of the third year there will be enough Bitcoin coming in from the outside, from family members sending it down, from tourists spending it in town, that the economy will keep going without our injecting the Bitcoin there. Um, and initially we, we ran a number of small programs focused on youth and, and keeping them out of the gangs, but the airdrops happened more when the, the COVID crisis hit because there was so many people in our, in our community that literally were, were going to bed hungry. And so that's where we broadened it and started doing universal cash transfers to uh, about 700 families between the three communities. But we were able to use all the people in our programs before the, the youth to do all the training to help people set up the wallets. So it, it actually rolled out pretty seamlessly. Yeah, and so is that the pictures I've been seeing of people lining up and then you guys have a trunk with like a big or trunk, a truck with a Bitcoin banner on it and people basically line up and how does that distribution work? Yeah. Do so, they come with, with wallets downloaded or do you walk them through that process when well, they get to the front of the line? Most of them will come with the, the apps already downloaded. So we've done some kind of training tutorial videos um, that they can watch on how to, to do that. And then generally for the, the first and second transaction, we do that in person. But by the third distribution, uh, we just have them send us their wallet address. And you know, obviously we log everything and keep track of everything. But so the, the pictures that you saw, that's usually the initial um, two transactions we do in person, just to make sure they don't have any questions, that they understand how it works. 
the goal is longer term, especially during coronavirus, is for people not to have to come physically there. And that's one of the values of it is you can reload their wallet, you know, with whether I'm in the U.S. or you know a block away, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's fascinating. The so talking about like remittances and hopefully with before the three years of funding is up, you're able to convince uh, family members outside of El Salvador to use Bitcoin to send money back. It'll be interesting. So are the, the El Salvadorians, is that the correct term? Yeah, Salvadorians. Uh, are they, uh, so they probably have more intimate knowledge of Bitcoin and will be educating their uh, family members in the Western world or in the, the first world. Yeah, no, I mean, that is, that is the hope. And we, we do have some plans to incentivize the initial transactions because people are creatures of habit. They always just keep doing what they're used to. And so to get somebody to learn something new and to try a new way, uh, there's definitely a hurdle there. And so we're going to roll out a program where we will match the remittances up to $50 um, for the first transaction, just to encourage their family members to send that first one. So if they send $50 worth of lightning down, then we'll give them another $50 worth of lightning. Um, and once they see how easy it is, the hope is that in the future, they'll send all their remittances in that way, especially if people can use it in town to pay for all their necessities, to buy food, pay their electric bill, pay their water bill. There's no reason to have to have their family member go to Western Union in the U.S., send it, then have to get on a bus, travel all the way, Western Union take their fee, and then bring it back when a mom can literally send a text to their son in the U.S. and say, hey, we need $5 to buy eggs for tomorrow. Can you send $5? Uh, that just that can't happen with Western Union. So it, it definitely makes a huge difference. Yeah. It's. I mean, it just makes makes more sense. I think I really like the example of paying your electricity bill, like having to travel to another city just to pay that. I mean, the time saved uh, alone, even if it may be a little more expensive to pay in Bitcoin, uh, maybe that that cost is made up in the time that you save uh, from not having to travel. Well, and, and the nice thing too with with Basically, everything we run being on Lightning, it's the transaction fees are, are negligible. Uh, most people are not moving back and forth. Um, they're, they're mostly transacting in Lightning. Now, you know, obviously, the stores are moving stuff back on chain. And you know, we tell people for any large amounts, definitely want to keep it on chain. But for smaller transactions that are happening in Lightning, and we're talking people's electric bills are $3. And so for them to be able to pay their uh, electric bill from their phone rather than having to take a, you know, spend a dollar to take the bus to go into town and waste the day. And instead they can just transact, you know, from their house to pay their bill. It's a huge advantage to them. And I think being in the U.S. and us having, you know, PayPal or Venmo or all the different ways we can transact maybe doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but... In most of the world, they don't have those options. Um, even for local stores, we found like they'll never be accepted to, to handle Visa or MasterCard. They just won't meet the regulations. And so 
they don't have any way to take mobile payments. They don't have um, any way for people to buy anything in a cashless manner. And so for them to accept lightning and have the fees be negligible and happen right away, there's no chargeback issues. Um, and for a lot of them, they'd hoped to be able to eventually take credit cards. Now they're like, why would I even take credit cards? There's no real advantage to it. Yeah. So Bitcoin, then that's always, I mean, here in the States, um, I also, outside of the podcast, the newsletter work for a Bitcoin mining uh, company, and we use waste gas to mine Bitcoin. That's something that's always represented a, a sort of tipping point in my mind in the future is the point at which, because Bitcoin uh, is very reliant on energy, and we are turning energy into Bitcoin at the source of which it's produced. And that's always like when the energy companies start accepting Bitcoin and just using Bitcoin as their currency of choice, that'll be a huge day. And I always expected that to happen uh, somewhere in the developed world, like potentially here in America. But it seems like that's developing uh, in El Salvador and potentially other countries like it, which is which is fascinating. And it's purely because of an ease, ease of use perspective it seems i think that you find that with a lot of technology that it leapfrogs in the developed world because they don't have the um the legacy systems in place and so you saw that with cell phone usage versus landlines and i think now you're seeing that with bitcoin in the u.s and a lot of the developed world we have banking systems that more or less work uh in the developing world they don't have that so for Bitcoin to all of a sudden come in and help them leapfrog and be further along than you know the developing the developed world, I, I think that's what we should expect. I think that's why you're seeing advances in in Africa, and I really think the developing world is going to lead the charge in that. Well, then thinking further ahead, even like if Bitcoin does go through another bull market, um, and does appreciate to levels at which many Bitcoiners think it may. Like, what does this mean for the the people that you're helping adopt Bitcoin right now? Like, how could this structurally change their economy and 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 their lives in the long run? And obviously, that's the biggest issue with with dealing with poverty is the lack of assets and the ability to accumulate assets. And so, we definitely encourage people to um, be saving a portion in Bitcoin trying to walk the line we don't want to create a bunch of speculators who are you know, maybe selling family land because they think you know see dollar signs and they think they can double their money and dump it all into bitcoin and then panic when it drops and you know sell at a loss and so we're really trying to take a measured approach and tell them longer term we think that bitcoin will appreciate in value especially in today's atmosphere when you know Federal Reserve and the reserve banks around the world are just printing money like crazy. Um, you know, obviously we believe in Bitcoin and we think that it will be the, the hardest money, but we also don't want to create speculators. Um, I don't think that that's a healthy thing. We want it to be kind of a slow, um, long-term approach. No, I, I think that's the wisest approach, but um, if, the, if, 
if the users in El Salvador are being humble and stacking sats, it would be amazing to see like if Bitcoin does appreciate in price a lot. Uh, like what? How would that change these villages? Um, you said people living in tin shacks and stuff like that, like being able to access more goods outside of their local economy has to be positive long-term, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, we're already seeing it just with uh, the growth in the economy from the, the Bitcoin we've been able to inject there. I mean, kids, and when I say kids, youth that, you know, anywhere from 12 to 16 years old that are usually targeted by the gangs and usually see that as their only alternative. Now they're working in projects to benefit the community, you know, cleaning the river, cleaning the beach, working to repair the, the homes of some of the elderly people. So they're able to, to start stacking sats. They're able to start making purchases um, that would be out of reach normally for them. And we've seen, you know, even like small business owners, you know, are accumulating 0.2, 0.3 Bitcoin, um, which you know, they've never had that much money just cash before, but they're just, you know, every month kind of putting a portion aside and Bitcoin has been, you know, appreciating over the um, most of the duration that we've had the, the program going, especially after it took the, the big dive there a few months ago. And so we're seeing kind of excited to you know, be able to save in something that they think is going to long-term appreciate. Yeah. And so you mentioned hedging volatility and teaching them teaching these individuals how to do that what what strategies are you uh advising them to use i i, I mean maybe hedging volatility would be a stretch but just for them to understand kind of the ups and downs and so not to freak out when it um when bitcoin takes a, a dip for them not to hold more in bitcoin than they can safely um manage as far as paying their other bills it's something that they have to and U.S. dollar the next day, then they should probably cash out, you know, in a timely manner. It's just for them to kind of see the ups and downs of the markets. And not that we encourage market timing, but for them to just kind of feel comfortable that like, hey, it's taking a good run. I need some cash to pay these bills in the next couple of months. I'm going to take a little bit off the table or vice versa. If it's, you know, it's, it's dipped and they have some extra cash sitting there that they're not using deciding to go ahead and, and invest that into Bitcoin. Um, yeah, and for them to see kind of overall, even though there's sometimes they'll take losses, there's other times that there's gains. So what we have them do is we have them um, keep a journal of the dollar amount and the amount of Bitcoin you know, for all their purchases. And then they can look at the end of the month if they're net positive or net negative. And usually it actually winds up pretty close because they're making transactions all the time. So sometimes they're making it when Bitcoin's lower, sometimes in the higher, and they kind of all tend to balance each other out um, as long as there's no huge moves. So we've, we've only actually had to, um, to help like I think two or three times to when somebody took a big loss, we gave them a little extra Bitcoin to make them even. But it was, it was a pretty minuscule amount compared to the amount of transactions that are happening so most of, the, most of the stores that have been doing it for a few months don't even track it anymore because they've said, we see overall it usually kind of balances out and longer term we think it's trending up and so they just kind of roll with it. Yeah. Well, this is very important work you're doing. Thank you for doing it. I mean, it's a huge topic of conversation on Bitcoin Twitter at least, even though it's 
probably uh, people think it's more profound than it actually is, the conversation that goes on there. Um, the, the concept of actually using Bitcoin, a lot of people like to point at hodlers and say they're not using Bitcoin and Bitcoin's not being used in a transactional ma- manner in the way it was meant to be. And it seems like uh, when people are educated and actually need it, that it, it, it can take off. Yeah, especially in, in the developing world where they don't have the legacy system. I mean, in the U.S., I use Bitcoin. I mean, you know, buying an airline ticket or something that makes it easy. But in, in general, I'm not using Bitcoin to buy coffee or to buy food at a restaurant. Where in El Salvador, we can do that and it makes sense to businesses there. And so I, I think that's going to be a growing trend. I don't think it's just going to be El Salvador. Um, you know, obviously, the fact that we've been willing to throw some resources and time into it, we kind of had a jump start. So I think we're going to see these things kind of naturally springing up around the world. That's what I really like about what you're doing. There's a lot of armchair uh, commentators who like to say, oh, this will never be possible. But if you roll your sleeves up and put in some hard work, I think uh, you'll see good things happen, like what what's happening with you in El Salvador. And it's, uh, it's funny. Like, again, armchair commentators like to sit back and say, ah, this is impossible. Like it'll never get adopted. But if you actually have people on the ground, evangelist, if you will, uh, teaching and, and getting people acquainted with it, it, it can certainly happen. No, I, I, I mean, I only kind of half jokingly will say that the reason we've been able to do it is because of how little I know. I mean, that sometimes the experts, know too much and so they know all the reasons it won't work and you see that with a lot of industries with a lot of businesses um people say not can't be done for this reason or that reason but you just go out and start doing it and yeah you're gonna take some licks along the way and you're gonna have some failures but find out what works and what doesn't and kind of keep going so i think that um especially in the bitcoin world a lot of people don't even realize a lot of the advances that have happened in the usability. So we rolled out Lightning and everybody said, no, there's no way, Lightning's not ready, it's still years away. But I mean, the reality is it works. It's working for the transaction we're doing. The people that we're working with are using it multiple times a week. Um, It's functioning. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's not perfectly secure, but for the amounts of money that they're using, Usability matters more than, you know, 100% security and everything. So I think longer term, we're going to have to be willing to at least wrestle with those trade-offs and realize for smaller purchases, there's going to have to be some give and take. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just natural. And it's good. I mean, it's good to have both sides, right? Oh, yeah. like I mean, but it's the hard the hardos who are like, ah, oh, if you're not using it non custodially, you're you're not using Bitcoin correctly, which I agree with to an extent. But uh, they they act as a good sort of guiding beacon of hey, we should always have these uh, the ability to use Bitcoin in this way as a priority, um, and and sort of convince people towards that direction. But like we've been saying throughout this whole episode. Uh, the the easier UX products will be a good gateway. Like to, to talk about a gateway drug to non-custodial products. It's just getting getting it in people's hands and having them use it, asking more questions, teaching themselves, and then just naturally, as 
they educate themselves and get better information, it'll just be a no-brainer to go use those non-custodial products. Oh, definitely. People, when, when they use it, when they um, interact with it, that's the natural gravity is for them to move in that direction. So just getting them into the ecosystem. The other thing we battle with all the time is people saying that we should use, you know, one of the other coins that are out there available that the technology works better, the use, you know, that the fees are less. But I think people underestimate um, just the power of Bitcoin, the fact that it is recognized throughout the world, the network effects of it. Even if the technologies of other coins are better, you're never going to get that traction. I, I don't think. I personally think that, that Bitcoin um, will continue to be the, the go-to. And so we've, we've taken a lot of flack from, from people suggesting we use other coins uh, also. But we really believe that kind of overall, um, the store of value aspect of Bitcoin and the usability that Lightning provides, that I don't think any other coin is going to be able to touch it. No, I would concur. I would concur. People are too impatient, right? And people that would recommend you use another coin if it ever attained the same network effect that Bitcoin has today would probably run into the same problems that they perceive Bitcoin has. Um, and all this is going to take time. It's my biggest gripe with people who, um, who bash Bitcoin is that they're impatient. You're not going to get everything out of the box. You're not going to get perfect UX, uh, uh, like, perfect reduction of fees via layers out of the box. It's going to take time and it's going to take people using it and figuring out the use cases that are most pertinent and uh, giving user feedback and what you're doing in El Salvador and the individuals using Bitcoin in these villages for lightning particularly. I think it's huge um, just user experience data, right? No, for sure. And I think that's what the Bitcoin community really needs talk to a lot of Bitcoin experts that find out they've made very few actual Bitcoin transactions in their life other than just purchasing it. And so for a lot of people, they should just get out and try the different things that are available, try the different tools and make sure that they actually understand where Bitcoin is, specifically with Lightning. I'm really looking forward to the, the Strike app that's um, going to be released in Hopefully, we can keep waiting for them to release that because it's going to be a huge tool for people in the U.S. to be able to send remittances down to El Salvador because with that application, they can link their bank account in the U.S. Their mom calls up and says, hey, we're short $5. They can automatically send that from their bank account through the Lightning Network to El Salvador. They'll have Lightning in, their mom will have Lightning in the El Zante in El Salvador and be able to go to the store and buy milk. I mean, you can't do that with anything else. So I think people should get out and transact. They should, even if you're a hodler, even if you just see it as a store of value, go out and spend a little bit of Bitcoin just so you at least know where we're at on the usability um, spectrum. No, I agree. I, I make it a point uh, through TFTC.io, we accept Lightning as payment, and then um, I try to use and experiment with lightning as much as possible. There's a cool game out there. I'm not sure if you've seen it, Bitcoin Bounty Hunters. I know, uh, I haven't seen it. I'll check it out. So in this game, you can uh, fund 
ads within the game with lightning so i have a bunch of tftc ads in the game and i i I top it up a couple times a week to make sure the the players playing in the game can see the tftc ad which is a pretty cool use case of lightning yeah for sure yeah paying like 10 cents to get an ad in a video game is a crazy thought so what is the most surprising thing throughout this whole experience uh for you personally what has surprised you the most as you've been introducing bitcoin to elzante and and uh into the individuals within that that city i think it has been surprising at uh how many people have smartphones that even you know people that are living in places without electricity or without um you know living in shacks with dirt floors they still have smartphones they have neighbors that charge them for them. And so that we originally thought was gonna be a huge hurdle to adoption, and it's been very minor. I mean, there's been some people we've helped get phones, but for the most part, even in El Salvador, most people have smartphones that are capable of running wallet applications. Um, And we've also realized that you start with the youth. Youth just, they take stuff up so much quicker. And so originally we were starting with the, the adults and felt like there was, they just put up uh, put up a lot of roadblocks. They just couldn't wrap their head around it. But so once we started working with their kids and they were transacting in it, the kids would teach their, their parents how to use it. And once their kids taught them how to use it, and once they saw their kids using it, they realized, hey, if my kids can do it, I, I gotta be able to figure this out. And so, um, the actual using it has been a lot easier than thought it would be. Yeah, that's something I've been saying. Like, it's going to be like a Generation Z-led revolution just because they're uh, native to the internet and technology. And so it's good to see that it's being proven out in El Salvador. Yeah, even kids that are like eight, nine years old, I mean, it's amazing. Like, they take it up like it's nothing. They don't have any legacy, you know, thoughts of how things should work. And so it just, you know, it's intuitive to them. And so it's, uh, so that's been exciting. I feel like the, the further we get into this, the easier the adoption is going to be. Yeah, this has to be fulfilling work. Do you, uh, do you even view this as work? Is, uh, are you, do you go to bed happy every night because of this? Definitely. No, I, I, I don't really view it as work. Um, you know, every, have a different business in the U.S., so we don't take any uh, funds from the project, and so it's all volunteer on our side, and and it's just fun. It's exciting. I get to be a part of something, you know, that's just kind of wacky. Uh, we're very grateful to the donor that has, you know, supplied the majority of the funds that he's been willing to take a chance on us to, you know, it was kind of this ludicrous proposal that so many people told us would fail and never would work. He took a chance on us, and so, um, yeah, it's just been every day. It's it's kind of amazed the new things we get to do. And we get to do some kind of just kind of more kind of novel things. Right now, we're working on building a big Bitcoin monument um, out of cement. We're going to build like a ten-foot Bitcoin symbol at one of in one of the villages as kind of a tourist attraction for people to come and take their picture next to and. And just for the people to become curious, it's okay, okay, what what is this? What is this? What is Bitcoin? And why do I see people's you know, Instagram feeds 
full of them taking a picture of this beautiful beach with a big Bitcoin coming out of the ground. And so we're just doing some wacky kind of fun things to uh, increase uh, just awareness of Bitcoin. Yeah, no, I love it. And thank you for doing it. Uh, as a Bitcoiner who sometimes sits in his armchair in, in America and, and thinks about this, it's highly encouraging that individuals like you are out there in the field educating and actually rolling your sleeves up and getting Bitcoin into people's hands. Um, so what's what's up after this? When the three years is up, what are you going to do next? We're actually, we're toying with the idea of doing a uh, Bitcoin, um, basically development in, in El Salvador, in El Zante. It's a beautiful beach community. And so um, it has increasing tourism. So we, we actually bought some land there and we are playing with the idea of development is kind of a, a community where land sold in Bitcoin, all the fees are, sold, are paid in Bitcoin. Um, people can use Bitcoin in town through all the businesses that, that we've established. So we, uh, I think we're going to call it Citadel by the Sea. It's going to be the, <laughs> the name of the community. So it's... It's, uh, you know, it's still in the planning stages, but, you know, you got to keep dreaming. I want to see how can we make this sustainable. I don't want after the three years for this thing to kind of dry up. We want to make sure that we're still pushing more Bitcoin into the community, that this becomes a tourist destination for Bitcoiners. So we're always encouraging people to come down and check out the project. People that you know, have doubts that we're actually doing what we say we're doing, say, hey, come down and visit. Come talk to the people um, that are using it. And see for yourself. Does El Zante have good lefts? Uh, it does have a good left. It's El Salvador is primarily all rights, but El Zante actually has one of the few lefts in El Salvador. It's really fast, hollow, and and it's just a it's just a great community. I mean, it's just a small beach town with just a really great vibe. Yeah, as, as a goofy footer. I'm definitely going to have to make my way down there and check out the, the Bitcoin economy and then the waves. Definitely. Hey, you're definitely invited. We'll, uh, we'll put you up. Um, yeah. We definitely want to see people coming down and checking it out and hopefully see similar projects happen in other places. Yeah, no, I mean, it's very inspiring. And so, again, thank you for what you're doing. we got to wrap it up here. Is there any parting notes you would like to leave the freaks? Any Any words of maybe not advice, but uh, maybe clear up some misconceptions or just anything that's on your mind that you'd like to get out there? Just say for, for people that, you know, really believe in Bitcoin, try to figure out how you can be involved in, in advancing it. It's really improved lives and not just the improved, you know, bank accounts that are eventually going to be cashed out back to fiat. But how can Bitcoin really be used to transform the developed world? or even the, you know, the poor communities in the, in the, um, the U S yeah, no, I completely agree and appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for taking some time to sit down and do this interview. I think, uh, I think the freaks are really going to like this one. This is a perspective that does not get a lot of shine here on this podcast. So I'm, I'm very, very happy that we were able to record this episode. Well, hopefully they won't crucify me too much for our use of uh, custodial, uh, products but uh you know i think it's important to just have a variety of points of view out there and for people to understand the different sides you know of the equation 
Yep, I agree. But I will warn you, you're probably gonna uh, you're probably gonna hear something about the ballet crypto stuff. I'm sure. I'd be disappointed if I if I didn't. <laughs> well, Mike, again, I appreciate your time. I hope you have an incredible weekend, and hopefully, we can catch up at some point in the future uh, when there's more data on what's going on and more adoption in El Zante. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, you're, there's an open invite. If you want to come down and check it out, we'd love to have you. Awesome. I'm, I think I will definitely take you up on that at some point. Well, that's all we got today, freaks. Peace and love. Take